Every man has a code of conduct. We might not be consciously aware of our code of conduct. You can't do it by yourself. Part of becoming a man is realizing that we have to surrender to the wisdom of other men's modeling. And the men get challenged. How they model being in the world. They also challenge the other men. I had some fantasy idea of who I was, as opposed to a reality of how I was showing up in the world. Progress, not perfection. You change your mind, you change your life. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to the Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have uh, an incredible guest lined up for you today. This gentleman really was my first and most important mentor when I went on a journey of self-discovery of who I am as a man in the world. It happened back in 2010. And he's a man who I, I love. He's a man who I respect. He's a man who's got a lot of wisdom to share. So I'm super excited to have him here with us today. Welcome to the show, Owen. Hey, thank you, Nikki. I appreciate you having me on the show. It's good to have you here. So, um, you know, I've known about you. The great Owen Williams is someone that I'd known about before I actually met you for many years. But when I came to you, I was a man in crisis. And there's a lot of men that will be listening to this show that are doing just great in their lives. There's a lot of men that are going to be listening to this show that are in a state of crisis, that are dealing with issues. And I think the first and foremost thing we ought to do is have you maybe share a bit of your backstory, how you got to be someone who's become a thought leader in the area of the work of men. So would you mind doing that first? Sure. Well, I've been uh, I've been in private practice for 32 years as a uh, psychotherapist coach. Uh, I work mostly as a coach today, um, and I I you know I came to this honestly. My life was in uh, it, it was has had two parts. It was great. I was very successful at what I did, and. Um, had all of the trappings of a successful life, a great job, great career, a beautiful partner, um, but I wasn't happy. And so I entered into my own personal therapy because I couldn't understand how I could have it all but not have anything in terms of the inner man. I didn't feel like I just had life the way I wanted to have it. And so I entered uh, my own therapy and uh, through that process, actually trained to become a therapist and realized that uh, for me, understanding myself and knowing who I am, what drives the bus of, o of Owen Williams? Like what's, what are the movers and shakers that have me be and show up in the world the way that I, the, that I was? And how could I shift that and become the man that I knew I could be, that I dreamed of being as a boy, um, but really didn't know how to uh, bring into being by myself? Uh, and, uh, you know, you say I have lots of wisdom. I've got more, more gray hair than you. And I think they may be <laughs> tied together. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's what I tell the young bucks when I talk to them. I say, look, I'm wiser than you are. See? <laughs> uh, Hard-earned. Awesome. Hard-earned, yeah. absolutely. So, Owen, the main theme of what I want to discuss with you today is around the importance of a man having a code of conduct. You taught me that when I was working with you back in the day. And just for my listeners' sake, I'm going to give them a brief overview of how you and I came to do some work together. So okay. it was 2010 when I met you 
my then wife had just decided that she didn't want to be with me anymore. Uh, I was beyond lost. I, I was drowning. I felt like uh, life was terrible. And a good friend of mine, my name is Linda Robinson, said, you need to go meet with this fellow, Owen Williams. He's really good at working with men. He's going to be able to help you. And we started working together and she was right. It, it took a while because I was in a uh, rough spot and it, I was also very stubborn and stuck to my way of doing things. It took me a while to be able to actually listen and let it in and, and act on it. And I think that's true of a lot of men. And one of the things that really struck me out of the work that we did together was when you said to me, Nikki, what's your code of conduct? And I couldn't answer that question because I hadn't thought about what a code of conduct was. So why don't we start by defining what is a code of conduct and why is it an important thing for a man to have? Well, that's a great question. And, and what I want to come to right away is the realization that we actually have a code of conduct. Every man has a code of conduct. We might not be consciously aware of our code of conduct, but the code of conduct that you will live point. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's like it didn't work for your wife. And she made it very clear by exiting the relationship that your way of being, your way of showing up in the marriage, in relationship with her, did not work for her. And so, so the consequence of the code of conduct that you had was that it impacted your, your family in severe ways, which was very painful. So, I, I, and I also want to touch on, you said, um, you know, you resisted, you, you know, you weren't ready to listen to me. I think every man, uh, you know, part of becoming a man is, is, realizing that we have to surrender to the wisdom of other men's modeling, how they model being in the world. I'll write that down. That's really good. <laughs> okay, write it down. You know, I didn't get here by myself. That's true. You know, I was, uh, by design or default, surrounded by men who, some of whom I admired and respected, um, so, you know, and others who I couldn't stand. And what I discovered as I really looked at myself was that the men who I had such a hard time with were actually modeling ways of being for me that I didn't want to look at. Because I had some fantasy idea of who I was, as opposed to uh, a reality of how I was showing up in the world. So I think, you know, a code of conduct is something that we develop over time. And we need to um, inhabit. But it has to be based on a desire. Like, what is it that we want as men? And I spoke to a man earlier today who, you know, I'm challenging around his code of conduct. Um, he has one, as I say. It's not the one that he wants to have. And he has a five-year-old son. And I, I'm, I said to him, you know, if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for your son. Because you're modeling a way of being for him. So I, I want to talk about the difference between modeling and mentorship. You know, as, as men in business, we're often told, you know, get a mentor, pick a mentor, someone that you admire who has a, a skill set or a, um, a, a business strategy that uh, you like or you'd like to model. And that's great. Um, to have that sort of mentoring. And I think all men need mentoring. But what, where we come to baseline, for me, Nikki, is the realization that we had men model ways of being for us. Usually our fathers, not always, not every man grew up with a father. Um, and, and to look at what was modeled for us. And 
you know, in my work with men, and I ran three men's groups a week for 17 years. I've done a lot of work coaching men, uh, listening to men, understanding how we think as men and what we want. I think the key is to realize that we can be so hard on ourselves for the way that we're being, and that that can be part of the trap that keeps us in the current code of conduct that isn't working. You know, I resemble that remark, as they say. Um, I'm less hard on myself than I ever was, and I'm still way too hard on myself. Mm. So for me, that's an interesting uh, aspect to, to inquire and to be present to, because we do have this sense that as men, we've got to be tough on ourselves and uh, harsh. And there's a place for that. But if it trumps, you know, if the judgment of our harshness uh, trumps our curiosity, then we're just perpetuating the same wound. So to come back to, go ahead. No, no, it's, please, you continue. I want to hear so, more about that. Well, to come back to your question, you know, so what is a code of conduct? You know, I think a code of conduct is uh, a personal decision about principles and values that we want to um, live by. And they don't need, you know, we don't need 19 of them. We need a handful of uh, principles within which we're going to operate our lives. Consciously. I saw a, a man wearing a t-shirt recently, and I wished, I don't even remember exactly where it was, but it was in the last month, and I wished that I'd spoken to him and asked him where he got his t-shirt. And I loved it because it had four words. It said, human hyphen kind. And underneath it said, be both. Brilliant. What I loved, yeah, what I loved about it was the, the word human for me incorporates the fact that we can fuck up. Right? That's being human. We mess up. You know, there's this notion that we have to be the the this perfect specimen that we need to have this rigidity uh, that actually drives the shadow part of us, the part that we can't see or don't want to see or resist having brought to us by a handful of men that we, you know, that we have in our lives that we need to trust. Um, it drives that underground and, and it keeps showing up in us. So. Um, yeah, I think this is an important aspect. Realizing that in our humanity, we fuck up. But we can clean it up. You know, that could be a code of conduct. When I screw up, I clean it up. You know, that's a good one to put in uh, my code of conduct. Yeah, I fuck up. And when I fuck up, I clean it up. That's a good one. I like it. Yeah. No excuses. You know, there may be reasons why things happened, but, you know, there are men who, who uh, operate with excuses. Like there's always an excuse. And so there's, there's no holding oneself to account. You know, there's also a real myth that men need to be held into account or that People need to be held to account. And I do not believe that we can hold another to account. Say more about that. Well, accountability is an inside job. If mm -hmm. Do you recycle, Nikki? Yeah, I do. Okay. Don't have my eye on it or anything like that, but yeah. Okay. So there are people who recycle. 
and there there are kind of recycling Nazis, you know, like everything has to be recycled. Yeah. What I <laughs> what I mean by that word is that, that that they become so focused on it that it it loses something. Now I recycle and I I do my best to recycle as much as I possibly can because it is a value of mine. It makes sense to me to do this. I accept that it's not everyone's value, right? So I don't have a need to ensure that everybody does what I do, but I do it because it means something to me and nobody can make me do it. So I could not make you recycle. You have to decide that that's something that, or not, that is a value of yours. Exactly. So I hold myself into account. And so I love the, the sort of banking analogy. You know, in an account, we, we, we make deposits. Yeah. So every time I do something that uh, is a value of mine, I make a deposit into that account. So I strengthen. It's like building a muscle. I strengthen the muscle of something that's important to me. And then it becomes more and more integrated into how I show up in the world. So nobody can hold me to account. That is something, accountability is an inside job and I do it for myself, with myself. You know, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. At the end of the day, if you even if you ask someone to hold you to account because there's plenty of people that do it i mean i i coach people too and there's a lot of the people that i coach that say hold me accountable for this I'm like okay if you don't want to be held accountable there's nothing i can do and right those people who say hold me to account that actually follow through and do the things that they say they're going to do they chose to do them all i did was check in did you do it yeah, like as serving as a reminder yeah. of their value. Exactly. Which, which, which has a great value because it, it's, it's like a, a physical trainer who, who is checking in. How did you do your sit-ups? Or how did you do your push-ups? You know, were you in, did you have the right form for your particular body? So it's about realizing that we need support, right? Yes. But that... Uh, oh, what's that phrase? Oh, you can't pay someone else to do your sit-ups. I okay. love that. You know, you've got to do them yourself. You do. You do. I, I mean, yeah. I've got clients that uh, are in business and they need to do uh, business development as an example. And they can't pay me to do their business development for them. Right. They got to do it themselves. Right. So um, a code of conduct then comes down to a handful of ways of being that, that we choose to live by. One of the things for me that is really important is to be on time, to honor my agreements. And being on time is an agreement. You know, we had an agreement today to meet at a specific time. If either of us were late for this agreement, it would have had tremendous impact. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so <clears throat> the impact I want to have is one of honor and respect. That's very important. Very important. Hmm. Honor and respect are currency among men, if you will. We value that, right? Some men do. I would say a lot of men do, but yes, I, I would agree with you on that issue. I agree with you on that issue. To a man that's listening to this episode and is thinking about how do they consciously craft their own code of conduct. What are some foundational principles as far as doing that is concerned in your view? Okay. 
Well, <clears throat> I like to keep things simple and manageable because we do have a tendency, you know, it's kind of like when we get a gym membership, we, we tell ourselves we're going to go five days a week or maybe even seven and, you know, typically fail epically because we're not used to that kind of uh, rigor and discipline. So, you know, the, the first basis is always keep your word. So if I say I'm going to do something, I better do it. And we can think it's as easy as that, but it's complicated to be our word because most of us have been trained to say yes. Everything. And not check in as to whether or not it's something that we are really a yes to. And if, if I've said yes to something and I realize that I don't do it or I'm not doing it, well, I've said yes perhaps cognitively, but I haven't said yes with my heart or I haven't said yes with my body. Mm. And so that's worthy of an exploration. Do I really want to do it? Yes. And in my work with men, what I'm often doing is, is getting them to check in before they make decisions as to whether or not they really want to commit to what it is that they're saying they want to commit to, even a, a, a coaching process. The idea might be way more sexy than the reality. You know, that's true for a lot of things. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think for myself, there's a lot of things that I say yes to in the moment going, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let me do it. Let's do it. And when push comes to shove, I really didn't want to do it. Mm. There's a part of me that just was caught up in the excitement of the moment. Yeah, the enthusiasm of it. Great yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, let's jump on that. Let's jump on that. Nah. <laughs> But, you know, here's the interesting thing. When we agree to do something, typically most of us, our lives are full. They're already full. I mean, I, I'm astonished by how busy people's lives are. In fact, you know, uh, I mean, I'm fortunate that I'm in the final third of my life. Uh, I'm slowed down a lot more than when I lived in the city. Um, I live on a remote island, so I'm... Uh, by nature more slow down and immersed in nature which has its own rhythm um but i think uh i think we've got to get connected to what really matters and so the this enthusiasm for things can be great but we've got to take something off our plate to put something else on our plate and I think the greatest difficulty we have as a species is realizing that we can't do everything right now. Tony Robbins said something which I thought was very profound. He said, people underestimate, overestimate what they can accomplish uh, immediately in a year. within a year. Yeah. And they underestimate what they can accomplish in five or 10 years. Yeah. And when I came to this property, uh, we have a couple of acres. Um, there was no garden. And we've been here five years. And the very first thing I did was start a garden. And I, I, I'm not big on taking photographs, so I don't have a, a photo journal of this. But... Uh, recently, somebody came here who hadn't been here since since the first year and was shocked at the garden that I've cultivated. And, you know, it was like this uh, awareness to me. Yeah, this took time. And every year it gets better and better. And I started uh, a living fence uh, three years ago that takes about 10 years to, to cultivate. And I knew that I wanted to do one. And I knew that I needed to invest the time when I did for it to knit together as a fence. But it's a long-term project. Mm 
you know, we often want immediate results. So when, when we come back to a code of conduct, this is where this, this fault line of being really harsh with ourselves. If I say I'm going to do something, then I don't. It's like, then we beat ourselves over the head with a mallet, which doesn't help us get to the goal. It's like, it, we, it requires an inquiry. It might require an investigation with a handful of other men that we trust to hold us to standards who encourage us to, to keep our word, who challenge our ability to bullshit. Because as men, we are good bullshitters. Experts. <laughs> so much so that we bullshit ourselves. And it's only, it's only in the company of other men, trusted men. And I think, you know, each of us need five good men in our lives. We need to be one of them. So pick four other men who we can surround ourselves with, who uh, not only are willing to challenge us, but are willing to be challenged back. Mm-hmm. Not from a place of I'm right. So it has to be a two-way street. Right? It, it can't be just one way. I've learned the most from men who have pushed back and challenged me. Right? It's a process. It's not perfection. This is where I love the 12 steps uh, process. You know, it, it's progress, not perfection. And perfection is a trap. Yeah. Amen. 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 Um, Whenever I speak to you, you make me think in the moment. I've done that. I'm doing that. (laughs) How can I apply that? Mm -hmm. You know, and you can't do it by yourself. No. Well, part of the reason why this podcast exists is because it is intended to help amplify our message so that we can attract more men to the Sovereign Man Movement. Um, this is our logo on my shirt here. And it's, it's all about having men engage in these kinds of conversations so they can engage in them themselves. They can listen to this podcast I tell every man, you you shouldn't do it alone. You need to be part of a community of men. And we have a community of men and we invite men to come join us. We we run these programs we call battle ready programs. And for eight weeks, uh, every week, we get together with a group of men and we really bring content to them and we have them talk about what they're dealing with in their lives and the men get challenged and they also challenge the other men. And last week mm-hmm. in our latest iteration of the battle ready program, there's seven men and there's three of us who help lead it. So there's 10 of us total. One man was dealing with something. I'm not going to get into what for confidentiality reasons, but he was dealing with something. And it's my normal pattern to jump in and be the one who leads the conversation and the back and forth. But I, I thought to myself, I shouldn't do that. I should let the other men on the team do that. Mm. So I actually said, men, I'm not going to talk much. I want you men to deal with this. So one of the other men who's new to this type of work started off and he started asking questions and he started giving advice. And so when he started giving advice, I let him do it for a couple of minutes. I said, look, we're not here to give this man advice right now. We're here to help him see something. Can you go back to asking questions, please? So he went and started asking more questions. And then another man jumped in and he started asking questions. And I got to tell you, Owen, this fella is a fella who's been leading life according to a certain pattern that hasn't been working for him all his life. Okay. All his uh-huh. life. Uh-huh. He had a moment of recognition out of the questions those men asked him. For me, as a leader, I had a moment of recognition. I don't need to always lead from the front. Right. Good leadership. Yeah. And I was reading a book by Seth Godin. You you know Seth Godin. 
Oh, yeah. 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 So he wrote a book called Tribes, which another man that I really respect recommended to me, who actually also lives on the West Coast. His name's Patrick. And Patrick said, you should read this book because you, you want to grow a large organization, a large movement. So Patrick leads uh, an organization called RAIN, Real Estate Investment Network. And over the years, RAIN has had 175,000 men and women go through their programs teaching Canadians how to create wealth through real estate. So, but he knows a thing or two about growing large organizations and movements. And the key message that came to me out of reading tribes was you're only going to go a tribe if you're not the only person growing the tribe. You can't do it by yourself. You got to ask other people in your tribe to step up and help grow the tribe. That was an aha moment for me. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I've always done everything myself. Always. You know me. You've known me for quite a while. That's been my, my, my pattern. That's been my style. But I'll tell you, this particular battle ready group, I think there's two men out of seven. Originally, there were eight. One man dropped off that I recruited. Normally, it would be like the majority of the men would be the men that I recruited. And um, the rest were recruited by others. That was a breakthrough for me. And nice. And this past week this man who was dealing with this issue i mean i did speak i wasn't completely silent but 90 percent of the work was done by other men that was very gratifying for me to see that happen i considered that the biggest win of the evening for me that i shut up Ah, you see, you're you're proving that you're growing and, and learning uh, all the time. This is progress, this is not perfection. Progress. That's <laughs> right. That's right. You know, this reminds me of uh, uh, an old saying that says, "If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, travel with others." Hmm. So, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, travel with others. There's strength in numbers. Yeah. I also want to bring up, um, you know, because you 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 have these collectives of men who who are learning to support each other and learning to be accountable to themselves uh, in front of other men. That one of the uh, challenges that we have as men is that we've all been wounded by other men. You know, I, I look at the the image of your um, organization, the two swords. Um, we've been wounded by another man's sword. And we have to we have to attend to those wounds in order to learn to trust other men. But also, Nikki, to learn to trust ourselves. Just because we've been wounded doesn't mean we're broken. That's good. Well, it, it, it's often uh, an inner wound that we carry that somehow we're fundamentally broken. And then this is the shame that we carry as men, which ironically can only be healed through exposure, through being vulnerable. And yet uh, what we see as strength isn't what we call vulnerability. But vulnerability is strength. It's dropping in. You know, as, a, as men, we have a tendency to want to ascend, to go up into our heads, to be clever, to be smart. And we, we forego the wisdom of the body dropping in. Yeah. Wow. And the wounds are in our body. You know, our mind may have forgotten about them. But you gather a group of men together and all of a sudden we'll we'll harden. We'll we'll have our defenses up. 
because other men have used their swords and hurt us. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. I'm thinking about it for myself. Yeah. Well, and, and for many of us men, our primary wound came from our father. You know, a father who wasn't uh, emotionally available to us, a father who um, modeled ways of being that we knew weren't correct, but had no voice in. So there's nothing wrong with having a sword. You know, another word for sword can be ego. You know, when I do couples work, uh, I'm often encouraging the couple to both lay down their swords. You know, I find that lots of uh, couples get into trouble because uh, two egos are battling. You know, the, the need to be right. Yeah, that's often what's at stake. Is this? Uh, defense against uh, humility. So part of a code of conduct could be having humility. Hmm. Hmm. Never thought of that. Well, the root meaning of humility comes from uh, Humus, which means the earth. And I think that true leadership requires humility. It comes back to that T-shirt, you know, human slash kind, be both. When we're human, part of being human is having humility. Part of it is having intellect. It's not one <clears throat> over the other. Yeah. It's not one instead of the other. It's it's yes and it's both. But if I come back to the to the this image, you know, human slash kind, we need to be kind. We need to cultivate kindness. My truth is we're all part of the same tribe, every one of us. There's more alike in us than there is different. That's true. We fail to see that, though. We are typically uh, evaluating and uh, judging and seeing what's different between us and other men. Men compete with one another out in the world. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what men do. They go out there and they compete for resources. They compete for the attentions of the feminine. <laughs> That's what men do. Nothing wrong with that. And to do it consciously. And to know what the stakes are. You know, when, <clears throat> when a man is raising a son, he can't be competing with his son. No. He actually has to let his son win as part of learning the game of life. Because my father, you know, my realization is this, that when men can play with boys, like engage in play, they need to let boys win some of the time. But when men use their dominance, boys will not trust men. And then typically boys learn not to trust themselves or to think that dominance is the prevailing factor in being a man. Mm. This to me is problematic. I have a 13-year-old son and a uh, 15-year-old right now. My 13-year-old son, the other day, I told him, go have a shower. You haven't had a shower in a few days. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And I was pushing him because, like, you know, I don't want him to stink out there in the world, right? I want him to have good hygiene, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. nothing I could do to make him do it. 
short of trying to physically put him in the shower, which I wasn't going to do. But I argued with him. Right. I fought with him. He won that one, <laughs> you know. When he's ready. When he's ready, he'll have a shower. Yeah, I guess he will. The time will come when you'll be pleading with him to get out of the shower because he's <clears throat> using up so much hot water that <laughs> you'll be worried about your bill. Oh, that's funny. Man. It's just another stage in development, right? Yeah, it really yeah. is. It really is. I'm loving this conversation. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm getting so much out of it. I'm listening to you share your wisdom with me and it's making me think, which is why there's some lovely pregnant pauses between some of the things you say and my response to them because mm -hmm. they're making me think. I'm not just immediately coming back with something at you. I'm going, hmm. Mm -hmm. That's my job. That's my role is to cultivate thinking. You change your mind, you change your life. <clears throat> the real uh, challenge we have is with our thinking. We think ourselves into problems and we don't even know how we got in there. So, Owen, let's, let's switch gears for a moment. We're living in an interesting time mm -hmm. in our history. And there's all kinds of uh, what I would call cheap sloganeering about people from certain people, especially people in a position of authority where they're saying that um, this is a time to be kind and tolerant and respectful of people and to stand up for truth and speak truth to power. Yet my experience is that all those slogans are very empty and we're living in a time where there's not a lot of truth being spoken to power. There's not a lot of people that are standing up for what's right. And candidly, there's people in the West that seem to be okay with an abrogation of certain rights. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. And how can a man who's struggling with determining what are the right stands to take in life, determine how to do that for himself and incorporate those values into his code of conduct? Mm, great question. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so it reminds me of when I was really looking at myself, I struggled with my own power as a man. Because my experience of my father's power was one of fear. I was afraid of my father. Now, I think a little bit of healthy fear between father and son can be a good thing. But the amount of fear I had of my father had me determine that power was dangerous. Because his power was power over. And <clears throat> what I had to come to terms with, Nikki, was that real power is not power over, it's power with. Power over is fear. My dad was a really fearful man. I did not see that. He developed or, or modeled a fearful way of being and I became fearful. That this is not intentional. Uh, he was a very flawed, wounded man like the rest of us. And you know, when I first got into my own therapeutic process, he, he had a conversation with me one day, and he said, you know, your mother and I were busy feeding seven mouths. We didn't have time for navel-gazing like you do. And he didn't mean it as a criticism so much as the reality of his life 
you know, feeding seven mouths was a challenging thing to do in his world. So I've learned that power over is the dominant narrative in our culture. And until we drop into power with joining, uh, we're not going to make much progress. We're not going to make much radical change. And, uh, you know, what alarms me at this stage in my life, and as I say, I'm in the final third, um, so I, I get to look at life with a different uh, objective. Um, no, not that I'm used up. I have lots more to contribute and hope to live a long, long and healthy life. Um, but I, I think that we've got to heal this divisiveness. And we can only do that through being curious and having a strong uh, listening capability. We have to listen to the other side. You know, Stephen Covey in his, his book, The Seven Habits, what, 25 years ago, said, seek first to understand, then be understood. But, uh, you know, people in positions of power, in my experience, are using domination to force ideology. And all it breeds is resistance. So it's fascinating to me to see the level of resistance that we have. And now people are questioning, well, what is the truth? Let's look at pandemic. In March 2020, none of us really knew what it was. And we we're getting a lot of information coming at us from government authorities in the news. And the prudent thing to do at that time seemed to be to follow along with what they wanted us to do, which was to um, lock down and distance ourselves from others until we had a handle on what this thing was. Mm. A year and a half later, We've all had some level of personal experience in our lives with people who've had it, hadn't had it. We may have had it ourselves. Um, certainly I have. I know a lot of people. You know I know a lot of people. I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I know about half a dozen people in my circle that had the, pan, that had the disease, the COVID-19 mm -hmm. disease. Um, one of them, it was serious enough that she was hospitalized and they thought she might pass away. Mm -hmm. uh, thank God she didn't. And she's better and she's out and she's recovered. Everybody else that I knew who had it recovered. I asked them what the experience was like. They all said it was no fun. They said that they were tired, they were in bed and all of that. But they all recovered. So I look at it and I go, okay, we're living in a time where something happened. Clearly, for some people, it's very deadly. But for the vast majority of people, it's not. And yet, for the first time in our history, globally, the world has decided, well, we're going to shut down. And I look back at other pandemics we've had. For example, 100 years ago, the Spanish flu one-tenth of the world's population died of that. Mm -hmm. Our, the number of people that have passed away from this, even if you concede that every person they say died of it, and I don't concede that because I know that a lot of hospitals have been getting um, additional uh, financial incentives for saying that people die of COVID, whether they did or they didn't. Because I, I know people in the hospitals, and I'm not going to name names, but that's the truth. Okay, This is a real thing. Dangerous to some, very dangerous to some, but certainly not something that's going to kill 80% of our population or anywhere near that or even 10% of our population. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, we can start to be a little smarter about how we approach dealing with it. We don't need to all of a sudden lock down the whole economy or demand that every person in, in, in uh, the country get a, uh, a vaccine 
especially because, you know, I come from a medical background. My, my father equipped hospitals. My mother was a nurse. Vaccines usually are uh, developed over a seven to eight year period. And the reason for that is there's a lot of trials that need to, to be done to see if these things work properly. They rushed this in 10 months <laughs> and all of a sudden the whole world's got to take it. And no one thinks this has any potential for problems. I mean, it's just, and I, I'm not here to persuade anybody one way or another. And I respect everybody's right to make a choice, whatever way they see fit for themselves. But I got to tell you, I got a real problem with our government saying, okay, if you don't do what we say here, we're going to take away a whole bunch of your rights. I got a massive, massive issue with that. And, and that to me is what I wanted to like um, say is my own code of conduct is I need to act a certain way about this without blowing my stack and anybody else right. who disagrees with me. Right. You know, and, and Nikki, you know, we're victims of uh, our current reality where there is too much information available um, you know, through uh, the internet, we can find evidence to support any perspective. And it's hard to know what's true and what's not true. It's very, it's very difficult. And <clears throat> that you know, is so true. <laughs> you know, it, it's very difficult. And I think we've got to, this is where we suffer is that we don't trust ourselves that we, we will fall in line um, and not necessarily question things. But, um, you know, behind every... Um, so I don't believe that the government tells us everything that's truthful. So behind every communication, there may be some falsehood. Just like behind every uh, conspiracy theory, there's a kernel of truth too. Like neither are objectively true, you know. They're not all one thing. But it, the, what concern is the need to have binary, either this or that, and that's the divisiveness that you're really. What I'm hearing in you is this this divisiveness that pits people against one another, as opposed to creating a level of understanding and uh, an openness. To what's uh, what's best? Now, what's best is is also subjective. Like, who gets to decide what's best? And ultimately, I think we we need to take responsibility for our own conduct, our own way of being in the world. But we're not encouraged to do that. You know, so this this is a systemic problem. And here's the thing with systems, whether it's the banking system, the welfare system, the educational system, the governmental system, systems are designed to keep themselves going. And uh, I like um, Charles Eisenstein's work where he says, you know, you can't, you can't uh, kill a system. All you can do is build a, a more effective system and have people come and join you. And I think ultimately, if we come back to, you know, codes of conduct, um, which is, which to me is where it all stands, all rests, is we have to decide how we want to function ourselves. And, you know, I'm not a big proponent of, uh, of the news. Uh, I have a partner who's addicted to the news. I do not need to listen to the news more than once a week because fundamentally it's the same shit every day yep it is and if i can't do anything about it right, on a global scale what i've decided for myself is to work at a local scale so i'm heavily involved in my local community helping people out people you know i live on an island so it's it's easier there's 2,300 people that live on the island that I live on. And in many ways, it's, it's very different. Um, but I grew up on a farm. And, in, and on farms, uh, it's a community. 
the farming community. People help each other. And so I, I have this propensity to want to be involved with people who are in my locality. And there's so much that can be done locally yeah. to bridge gaps, to join forces, to work together. And I think that we heal some of this woundedness when we work in that way. Um, and, you know, we have to demand a different level of um, responsibility, not accountability, but responsibility from, you know, our leaders who say they're going to do something. But, uh, I mean, do they? That's not my experience that they do what they say they're going to do. But I can do what I say I'm going to do. And I think it all starts at home. I wish I had a, mac, uh, a magic pill or some elixir that we could all drink that would have it all changed, but I don't. I think it has to start at home. How do you change the world one person at a time? That's right. And it and starts with yourself. Start, yeah. That's right. Yeah. It starts with yourself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this, is, this has been a very powerful conversation for me. It's really made me think and reflect. And I am clear it's going to make the people that are in my audience think and reflect. And it's going to make them better men just for having been able to participate and listening to it. It's going to make them even better men if they can take some of the things that you have uh, suggested they take on into creating their code of conduct and into how they choose to comport themselves in the world. Mm. So I thank you. It's been really, really great having you here. So how do people um, find out about you and your work? Um, you've written, uh, you've written a book as well. Uh, tell them uh, about the book and how they can uh, get a copy of that and how they can communicate with you. Um, <laughs> well, at this stage in my life, I'm working with very few people. Um, so I appreciate your support of me, Nikki. Uh, in terms of uh, asking that, I have a website, relationshipexcellence.com. Uh, I've actually just taken my book offline because I'm rewriting and in the process of writing another book, um, which will, will be on the market soon. Um, right. And uh, um, I think, you know, what I, what I would encourage men to do is to is to listen to this, to to make notes, to read, be a voracious reader, um, and and find things that nurture your spirit, that you can actually explore with a, with a group of other men, and w without the certainty, but to 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 be really curious about ideas and and filter down what what could be uh, effective. My website's relationshipexcellence.com. Um, people can go there and uh, there's loads of um, educational resources on there that are helpful for men, helpful for couples um, and, you know, have, uh, have good use of it. That's, uh, that's what matters. Well, when I was going through my dark times, you were the man that I came to. So I can say this to my audience. Uh, listener, if you're going through a dark time and you need some help, go to relationshipexcellence.com and um, check out what Owen has to offer. And if you're in really bad shape, send send him a note. I'm sure how to communicate with him is going to be on that uh, website. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Reach out to him. Tell him you heard him on the show and um, he'll do what he can to make time for you, I'm sure. Uh, Owen, this has been uh, a sheer delight. And Listen, what, when's the new book coming out? Yeah, I noticed in my own sharing that I didn't put a date on that because I haven't committed to uh, when it's going to be. And it's important to me that if I commit or when I commit that it'll be ready. Um, I'm in the, uh, I'm sort of in the middle of it. So I don't know what the publication date will be. Uh, I'm pretty confident it'll be in 2022. Awesome. Well, listen, when you're ready to come out with the book, uh, let's have you back on this show and let's have you back on my Thought Leader Revolution show where you can talk about uh, the, the process of creating some original thought leadership, which I think is going to be very valuable to that audience as well. So awesome, man. Right. Looking forward to it. Well, I will, yeah, I will tell you the name of the book uh, as an intrigue. Um, 
So I'm calling the book Life is Simple, Not Necessarily Easy. It's a good title. I like it. I like it. It's, it's my experience. Well, I'd like to okay. get a copy when it's ready, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to interview me and to, to engage with me. It's a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Ditto, likewise. And uh, listener, listen to what this man has said. It's brilliant stuff. It's going to change your life. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.